Hello, hola from San Angel, Mexico City. Today is August 16th, and it's unbelievable to me. I have been living in Mexico City for two and a half months, um, and it's flown by because Mexico City is fantastic. Uh, and I am, this is the next episode of my podcast which I have called my Mexican mistakes, because as you know, if you've been listening, and if you are a listener, thank you so much. Uh, and if you're new to the podcast, I call this podcast my Mexican mistakes, because I moved to Mexico, having never been here before in my whole life. And also, pretty much the only Spanish I spoke was what I learned from telenovelas. And I have learned that I wish I had watched a telenovela that showed uh, the protagonist in his or her daily activities, which could include trips to the dry cleaners, trips to the grocery stores, how to get on and off the bus, um, all sorts of things that would be very helpful to me in my new life here. Um, but instead, you know, I watched uh, telenovelas that I love to death, but unless a crazy-eyed killer shows up at my door or, you know, an insanely jealous uh, ex-boyfriend or I need to poison someone um, or I need to set up an elaborate video ploy uh, with, like, specialized training from Radio Shack to trap someone um, or if I need to get the gold mine back that uh, another, you know, Patrona stole from me um, or if I have a twin somewhere that I don't know about, but then I get hit on the head and then I think I'm the twin and the twin, unfortunately, is treated as me. Um, or uh, I am killed and then somehow end up in the body of a concert pianist. Um, if, like, those things had happened, uh, I'd be totally ready to go here. I'd know just what to do. But nobody in a telenovela ever has to ask for, you know, the half and half at the grocery store. Or, uh, you know, what is the best bread to buy? Or how do I explain to the dry cleaners what I want them to do with my clothes? These are things that I could have been much better served learning. Um, but... That's how life goes, and it's all working out here because everybody here is fantastic. People are so kind, so nice. I would like to add that despite the fact my Spanish is clearly awful and could make people's ears bleed, no one ever tells me, oh, you're in Mexico, why don't you speak Spanish? Um, that might be because they've heard my Spanish, but I tend to think it's because they're much kinder. Uh, to people who don't speak the language than some others north of the border might be. Uh, it's, um, it's remarkable. Uh, the generosity uh, that people show here, um, and it's really, living here, I think, is, it's like the way maybe people used to live. When they were nice to each other, uh, tried to help each other if they could, um, and uh, it's, you know, it's great. I'll be honest, 
I wish they knew how to make a good Chicago hot dog here, but I didn't move to Mexico to eat Chicago hot dogs. I'd also like to point out that the Mexican hot dogs, while different, are delicious. They're not Chicago hot dogs, if only because they don't have, you know, the neon green relish, the onions, the mustard, the tomato, the sport peppers. Haven't seen a sport pepper yet. There's lots of peppers in Mexico City, but I have not seen a sport pepper. Um, and the celery salt, another product I haven't seen. Um, I think that if someone from Buona Beef or Portillo's is listening, the greatest thing they could do for their business would be to open up a branch of Buona Beef or Portillo's here. Um, because those are the things I miss. Italian beef, Italian sausage, and delicious Chicago hot dogs. Now, to get back to the plot of my podcast, my Mexican mistakes, I am kind of taking a bit of a left turn to finish what I started in my last podcast, which was about the mistakes of others. Because there are plenty of people besides me who made mistakes in Mexico, and those were ancient civilizations that ultimately, uh, you know, led to their downfall. And I learned all of this at the Anthropology Museum, which is like the greatest museum ever. I do wish they'd give it a jazzier, fancier name so it wouldn't sound boring. Because if you say to somebody, oh, want to go to the Anthropology Museum? They're like, what? Let's just go have some more tacos al pastor, Um, which is my usual answer to a lot of questions like, oh, let's just go have some tacos al pastor. Because even if you're not hungry, there's nothing better than a taco al pastor. And it is the trademark taco of Mexico City. And so I am, you know, savoring them. But the National Museum of Anthropology uh, on Reforma is like the best museum ever. Because not only do you learn about these ancient ancient civilizations, but you actually get to see exactly how they lived. Um, it's a huge museum. It's kind of inside, kind of outside, which there's a lot of things in Mexico like that. And I think that's because the weather is so awesome um, that you can kind of be inside and outside at the same time. And who wouldn't want that combination? Um, but anyway... And when I went to the National Museum of Anthropology um, a few weeks ago, I learned about the three biggest ancient civilizations in Mexico. The Teotihuacan. How's that for a pronunciation? If you saw the way this word is spelled, you would never come up with Teotihuacan. But I am getting more familiar with pronunciation, although I don't kid myself I still know that my Spanish makes people's ears bleed and I sound like Tarzan when I talk. Um, But I told you all about the Teotihuacan and what happened to them. And I'm not exactly sure what happened to them, but if your biggest street is called the Avenue of the Dead, because that was the name of their biggest street, I don't think you have a whole lot of hope for the future. But in fairness to them, they did not view death, and I, and I told you this uh, last time, they didn't view death as, oh, you're dead and that's it. You know, you get a funeral, some people come to the funeral breakfast, and, uh, you know, some people send flowers and everybody tells you they're sorry, and that's it, you're done. Um, no, 
they view death as like, I think I'll go through this door and see what's on the other side. Um, and so, you know, maybe they weren't entirely pessimistic when they named their biggest street Avenue of the Dead, but it's kind of hard to go on, you know, full, with full optimism if, like, if I was back in Chicago and Michigan Avenue was called, you know, the Avenue of the Dead, I don't think I'd be doing too much shopping there. Um, so they existed from like 150 BC to around 750 AD. And at a certain point during that time, the Mayans, the second biggest civilization, uh, appeared. And we know the Mayans were tough for two reasons. We know the Mayans were tough because when you hear about the Aztecs, which is what this podcast is primarily about, um, and don't roll your eyes and think like, oh, Aztecs, more ancient history. Wait till you hear about these lunatics. Um, But as brutal and as vicious as the Aztecs could be, they gave the Mayans a wide berth and left the Mayans alone. And that's because they knew the Mayans had an incredibly high tolerance for pain because, as I explained to you, the Mayans were all about looking, you know, beautiful and competing with, you know, the Joneses. It's like they invented the Mexican version of keeping up with the Joneses because if your neighbor got some jade implants in their teeth, you were at your dentist's office getting some jade implants too. And I'm not sure if they had Novocaine in that time. I'm pretty sure they didn't. So you know that that had to be very painful. But the Mayans were willing to withstand a lot of pain to get the looks that they thought were the best and most attractive looks. And I just want to remind you, because I can never get enough of what the Mayans liked, um, and that's jade teeth, a flat head, um, which you'd have to put your child's head in, kind of a vice, um, a vice every day to bit by bit change the shape of the child's head. Um, the, you know, hugely broken nose that wouldn't be repaired. So you'd have some gigantic nose sticking out of the middle of your face and cross-eyed. Um, and they would achieve that by um, tying some beads to the child's hair so that the child would, uh, you know, the, the, like the bangs, the beads would be attached to the bangs, and then the child would always be looking up at the beads, and that would make the child cross-eyed. And um, this went on for so long that eventually children were actually born cross-eyed. And I'm not being funny. That's like a true story of genetics. And I was really bad at genetics, but I'm fascinated by the idea that eventually, I guess, somehow... This, you know, forcing a child to be cross-eyed ended up in nature favoring the cross-eyed amongst the Mayans. And, um, you know, and then, so that's how the children were born. Plus, the Mayans loved jade and totally weighed themselves down with a lot of jade, which, between that and being cross-eyed, might have contributed to their downfall. Um But they survived a long time because everybody was terrified of them because everybody knew if you could go to the dentist and have jade put into your teeth without Novocaine, you were pretty tough. Now I want to tell you about the Aztecs. And really, the Aztecs, I would say if I had to sum up the Aztecs in one slogan, like if this was Mad Men 
and I was um, Elizabeth Moss, and I can't remember her name in the show, but she was like the woman that was a secretary, and she got pregnant. Anyway, and then she became like the creative director. Um, I can't remember her name, but you know who I mean. If I was her, and Don Draper told me, come up with a slogan for the Aztecs, I would have to say, brilliant but brutal. Not bad. Um, because they were brilliant, but they were brutal. I'll talk about the brilliance first. Now, first of all, they were the last um, big Mexican ancient civilization. And they lived from about the 1300s to the middle of the 15th century, or 1500s. Um, and they were the dominant culture. They built Mexico City, basically. Um, and they did it because Mexico City was a lake. But because the Aztecs were somehow so good at math and engineering, they were like, hey, let's drain the swamp. And when they said drain the swamp, they actually did it versus that halfwit that sits at the White House. Um, but they completely understood irrigation and built, built these irrigation systems. You can still see today if you look closely and also if a tour guide points it out to you. Um, they were known for building irrigation systems, so they drained the swamp, and then they created these artificial islands on top of the lakes. And the thing that kills me about that is if you can create an artificial island on top of the lakes in, like, the, you know, 14th century before Palumbo construction existed and those gigantic, tr gigantic trucks that are always blocking traffic in Chicago that say, Palumbo construction, we move the earth. No, the Aztecs did not have Palumbo construction, I would like to point out, and yet they did move the earth and they built Mexico City on top of a lake. So if the Aztecs had stuck around, they had a tremendous future in the resort business. And it's really um, a shame that they are not here now to build fantastic resorts. Um, because I think that would have been their thing. Um, I mean, no, who else could say I created a city on a lake? I mean, maybe Hilton does it now, but like I said, they have a lot of equipment now. Aztecs didn't have slide rulers. Aztecs didn't have any of that stuff, shovels, anything. I mean, how did they do this? It's a long story, and I can't get into it, but if you are interested in how they did it, you should look it up because it's really, truly an engineering feat and miracle. Um, when they founded Mexico City, they called it Ten Tenochtitlan. Now, I know that that's an awful pronunciation, and anyone who knows how it's correctly pronounced is probably at this point covering their ears. But it was called Tenochtitlan, Tietlan, and that's what Mexico City is now. And if you are in what I guess I would call the downtown of Mexico City, which is Centro, except you could take like 10 downtown Chicago's, put it inside Centro, and you still have a ton of room left over. Um, that's where like the oldest part of Mexico City is, and that's where the Aztecs ruled. Um, and I don't know who built those sidewalks in Centro. I don't think it was the Aztecs. Because here's the thing about Centro in Mexico City. You gotta go. Like every huge monument is in Centro, um, including the Zocalo, the huge 
huge square with the gigantic Mexican flag in the middle of it. I mean, nothing in Centro is small, except, and I've said this before, the sidewalks and the bathrooms. And I really think, because the Aztecs were such great engineers, that if they built those structures, they would have been a lot more rational. And the buildings might have been a smidge smaller, but the sidewalks would be nice and wide and comfortable. And it would be like that episode in Seinfeld when Kramer repainted the lanes on the expressway, and I think he took it down from four to three. So the lanes were super wide and comfortable. That's what they could use in Centro, just slightly wider sidewalks, um, and I guess that might be at the expense of the buildings. But like I said, I don't think the Aztecs were behind it because I think they'd be a lot more comfortable. Um, Aztecs were very, very big on prophecies, and uh, in fact, the Mexican flag that shows the eagle with a snake in its mouth and it flying over a cactus that was a prophecy of the Aztecs, and it's made its way onto the flag of Mexico. And remarkably, and I don't know if the Aztecs prophesized this, but it also, in the narco novella El Chema, which was supposed to be the life story of Chapo, um, on the day that Chema was born, and his mother was in labor with one of the scariest midwives I've ever seen, um, and his father was like hanging around outside smoking, waiting for Chema to be born. The father looked up and there was an eagle eating a snake sitting on a cactus. And I guess they were trying to say that somehow the Aztecs prophesized Chema. Um, they might have prophesied how handsome Mauricio Oakman, who played Chema, was, but I don't really think that the Aztecs were like, oh, hundreds of years ago, some guy's going to be born who's going to kill about a gazillion people and always wear dirty white t-shirts um, and he will be called Chapo uh, and spend the rest of his life in prison. I don't think the Aztecs prophesized that, but they might have prophesied like, and the actor who's going to play him is super good looking. Um, okay, so now I've told you Aztecs brilliant. Aztecs uh, like brilliant at math, brilliant at engineering, brilliant at construction, um, and they didn't have to contend with the Teamsters. But I'll tell you something. If any Teamsters showed up on an Aztec construction site, the Aztecs would have made very short work of those Teamsters because the Aztecs were brutal and vicious and a little bit like the mob in that they understood they couldn't run the whole city, which was like 200,000 people, so they kind of allowed different crews to operate, like street crews operated in different parts of uh, Mexico, what was to become Mexico City, and then they had to pay tribute to the Aztecs. And if anybody didn't do what the Aztecs wanted, they basically had the Aztec version of ending up in a car trunk, which would be ending up at the top of a pyramid tied to the person in front of you, tied to the person behind you, climbing up to the top of the pyramid in the very, very hot sun without any, like, handrails or anything. And it, so it wasn't easy. And then by the time you got to the top, um, then you were thrown down on a slab of, I don't know, like on a big stone. And then some Aztec priest uh, would cut your heart out in front of you while you were still alive. 
and uh, scientists have estimated that you'd live about seven seconds under those circumstances. And I would think it was a pretty long seven seconds. And once your heart was pulled out, I'm not sure what they did with the hearts, but they kicked the bodies, you know, down to the bottom, back to the bottom of the pyramid. So if you were in the line going up to the top, you were pretty much stuck because, as I said, you were tied to the person in front of you, tied to the person behind you. And as you got closer and closer to the top, you saw what was going on with, you know, the priests slicing open the guy's chest, pulling out the heart, kicking the body to the bottom of the pyramid. I don't know what they did with the heart. And you'd see that and you knew what was coming for you and there was no way around it. And that's far scarier and more chilling and horrifying than anything the mob has ever cooked up. I mean, that's the thing. I would love to see the people who think they are tough now without guns because, you know, guns give you a terribly unfair advantage, um, which is why hunting is so awful. I, if somebody wants to go hunting, go do some hand-to-hand combat with uh, an elephant and see how that works out for you. Um, but that's a side note. Um, but really, the people who think they're tough guys now, go hook, go meet up with the Aztecs. Make it a fair fight. Nobody has any weapons. Those Aztecs could still rip your heart out with their hands, I think, because they were extremely tough. Um, and not only did... Um, you know, not only did their enemies suffer this fate, but, um, you know, the Aztecs still were following the practice of sacrifice, which I told you all about before with the other civilizations. But by the time we get to the Aztecs, um, people aren't so keen on being sacrificed. People are starting to realize, hey, if I'm killed... Uh, you know, my future might not be so bright. And so it wasn't so easy to get uh, people to be willing to sacrifice themselves. Like I told you with the Teotihuacans, um, and I'm sorry I butchered that name again, Teotihuacans, um, you know, they would have these ball games, these very elaborate ball games with literally balls of fire. And the winners who survived the ball games then they would be sacrificed because that would be their prize. By the time we get to the Aztecs, people are pretty much over that. And so the Aztecs had to kidnap people and force them to be sacrificed. And, uh, and so, and that was when they'd be tied to each other and have to go up the pyramid. And, you know, I don't know. If it was me, I think I would just be like, you know what? I am not climbing up that pyramid uh, in the hot sun without any handrails or anything, like, I'm not doing it. You could just kill me here. Because what could be a worse fate than, you know, cutting you open and pulling your heart out while you're alive? Did they have something worse for the people who wouldn't climb? I can't imagine. I mean, they were Aztecs, so maybe they did. But it's like, you know, when the mafia kills people and they make them dig the hole before they shoot them and then throw their body in their hole. I've always felt I would be like, no, I'm not going to dig the hole. You dig the hole. Kill me now, and then you'll have to dig the hole. Again, they can't make it any worse than killing you. I mean, I know torture is bad, but um, still, they're going to kill you. So, you know, why why do some, like, that kind of extra hard work before you're killed? 
Um, and I'll bet you any money, if we you know, had a way of finding out, I'll bet you there were some people who refused to climb up to the pyramid because it's hot and it's hard to climb. Um, and then you're, to what? To be killed? No, just kill me here. Um, but anyway, so getting back to where I was, which I have no idea where I was, um, but so, like I said, oh, I would like to see modern people fight the Aztecs. Um, but I got to give the Aztecs credit. Like I said, they were not only smart, but in their own way, they were very, very generous. Up until the Aztecs, only the children of the rich went to school. Um, under the Aztecs, they were like, no, everybody should go to school. So they were huge believers in public education. So if they weren't going to kill you, they were going to educate you. Um, and there, But there were two schools, you know, the, the school for the rich and the school for the poor. And I'm quite certain that the school for the poor probably, you know, bathrooms weren't as nice. Um, and maybe they didn't have as many windows or something. Um, but they still had a school... And I think that might be the first time in recorded history, but I could be completely wrong about that statement because I don't know that much about recorded history. But um, it could be the first time in recorded history that people recognized everyone should be educated and there should be schools for all. And the Aztecs should get credit for that. Um, so now you might be wondering, well, if the Aztecs were so smart and willing to kill um, and so advanced an art and architecture and astronomy, and if they could run a city of 200,000 people, then how could they lose to the Spaniards? Um, and, of course, they lose in the famous battle of the Aztec chief, Montezuma, versus Hernan Cortez, the, Az the Spanish explorer who shows up in Mexico City. Well... It's remarkable how they lost. First of all, Cortez shows up on a horse. Now, you might be thinking from the perspective of 2019, okay, he shows up on a horse. Was it a talking horse like Mr. Ed? Were the Aztecs taken in by a talking horse? No. No, just get that idea out of your mind, and I will get it out of my mind, although it will be hard to do. Um... No, the Aztecs had never seen a horse. The horses, you just didn't have them in Mexico, I guess. It was the Spanish who had the horses. Um, so maybe that's where that expression, oh, he's got all the horses, comes from. Um, because the Spaniards had the horses. So when Montezuma and the other Aztecs see Hernan Cortez on a horse, this is something they have never seen before. This is like makes a huge impact on them because they think man and horse are one, that it's some kind of like a magical half man, half beast sort of being, um, which really captivates them, confuses them. I think they are a little scared by what looks like a magical being. And so they're a little off guard. This throws them a little off balance. And, you know, that's not to be underestimated. I mean, it's always a great way to win a fight, throw your opponent off balance. Um, so now they're off balance a little bit. Maybe traditional Aztec things won't work. They don't know that they will, but, you know, they're just afraid. But the, and the second part is this, and 
this is where I believe was really, this is what I believe was really the Aztecs undoing. As smart as the Aztecs were, as I've said, they weren't very nice. And so what happens is this. Hernan Cortez gets to Mexico. He's on his horse. The Aztecs are a little back on their heels. And then Hernan Cortez asks all the other Mexican civilizations outside of the Aztecs, hey, who hates the Aztecs? And everybody raises their hand. I do, I do, I do. And Cortez is like, hey, want to work with me to defeat the Aztecs? Because Cortez knew that if he could beat the Aztecs, he could beat the rest of the civilizations and tribes. And they were like, yes, I do, I do. I'll help you, Hernan Cortez. Let's get rid of the Aztecs. And of course, those individuals were very short-sighted because they didn't know what was coming, which I'm sure you have figured out if you've been listening. Which is once Hernan Cortez unites all the other civilizations against the Aztecs, and he absolutely, in ways far worse than the Aztecs ever did, he destroys the Aztec civilization every which way you can with the help of the other tribes in Mexico who also hated the Aztecs. And I guess they thought, oh, when Hernan Cortez stops, you know, killing the Aztecs, he'll totally leave us alone. I think there are lessons throughout history of that kind of idiotic thinking. Um, And we might be seeing it now in uh, certain corners of the states. In fact, I'm pretty sure we are. But anyway, so Cortez, once he demolishes, destroys Cortez and all the Spanish troops, once they destroy the Aztec population, they move on to the rest of the indigenous tribes in Mexico. And uh, those tribes pretty much just, they can't fight the Spaniards. They don't have the weapons. Um, They're not warrior-like tribes. Uh, The Mayans are way too way down in jade um, to, you know, really fight effectively. And so it's, it's, you know, this, we see the story repeated through history, but the Aztec, I'm sorry, the Spaniards destroy uh, and subjugate the indigenous peoples of Mexico. Um, And, you know, history is brutal. Uh, And it's, you know, you learn a lot from studying it. But anyway, so that's pretty much what happened to the Aztecs. Many of the things that uh, we love about Mexico City were created by the Aztecs, were invented by the Aztecs, and that includes Mexico City, I'd like to point out. Um, And I'm not quite sure if this is true, but I would like to think that the Aztecs invented Tacos al Pastor, which again, it's the symbol of Mexico City, and that's what should be on the flag, if you ask me. Not an eagle eating a snake, because nobody wants to eat a snake, but an eagle eating a taco al pastor, I think that's the way to go. Well, I hope you enjoyed this history lesson. Next time we may get back to my mistakes, or there may be other things to tell you about what's happening in Mexico City. As we say, vamos a ver. We'll see. Thank you for listening. And if you like this, please tell your friends about it. Um, Don't tell any history teachers, because they'll be horrified. And uh, I will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.